Outstanding, man. Beautiful. Thank you, Betsy, Edith, and Jonathan. What a good morning we've had here at Cashhead Baptist. I trust you're encouraged and uplifted in, in the Lord this morning. Uh, we are continuing our study in First Peter, and we got to this place in First Peter 4 um, that deals with the ambassador's management, and it's a stewardship of spiritual gifts, and we're in part two, and we're going to be in part three next week, and I'll explain it to you here in a bit why we're, we're taking time here because of the importance of it. A couple of weeks ago, last week we had WMU Sunday, which was very encouraging and uplifting to me to see all that the women in our church are involved in, and then we're a part of that through their influence with us. But two weeks ago, I showed you this picture of uh, a puzzle with different shapes and this square peg trying to fit into a round hole. And I talked about how frustrating that is, whether it's a secular job or a, a, a ministry here at church, when you feel that you're a square peg in a round hole, it's really, really bad. It's very frustrating. And so part of the reasons we're talking about gifts is, one, to determine our shape, the, whether the gift that we have, and a place to place it, that we're not going to be a square peg, which is our, our spiritual gifting, and we try to put it in a round hole. And there are various shapes, and we're going to talk about that today. And in dealing with the um, ambassador's management, the stewardship of spiritual uh, gifts, if you remember a couple of months ago, we talked about healthy church, and we talked about this illustration of what we call the disciple's cross. And we also did God's great work this January as we went through it. And God's great work is basically taking the great commandment with the great commission to make up God's great work. And the great commandment is, Jesus was asked, Master, what's the greatest commandment? And Jesus said to him, Hear, O Israel, the Shema. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord our God is one. And you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your might, with all your strength. And you shall love your neighbor as yourself. And what this illustrated was how the disciple has the heart. And we're to love God with all our hearts. And in that was that little triangle dealing with the soul, mind, and strength. And in the little center of that heart, the center of all of our, our intellectual and emotional and spiritual being, there's a throne. And when we put Jesus Christ on the throne of our heart, he rules. He has preeminence in our life. Prior to coming to faith in Christ, he's not there. We've pushed, we don't allow him, but when we come to faith in Christ, he's on the throne. And so we're, by Christ indwelling us, we can then live out the great commandment. You shall love the Lord your God in that vertical dimension. And we talked about how we worship God. Part of what we're doing today is telling God we love him. We are worshiping him because we love him. And we're giving him first place. And that's part of what we're to do. And then he loves us. He gives us his word. He communicates. This is the way. Walk in it. Jonathan telling the kids, look, God has told us the way to live. It's not a mystery. Walk in it. And so we see this vertical relationship. We love God through worship and his word. And we have this relationship with him. 
And then he says we're to love our neighbors as ourselves, talking about the horizontal relationship. And what I tried to identify there was this work of stewardship. Stewardship is something that we're entrusted with. And to keep all the W's so you can remember it, we talked about the work of stewardship. We have responsibilities as Christians. And then we also have a witness that we have to an example to the saints and evangelize sinners. And as you notice, what that makes is a cross. And people see you, Christ in you, the hope of glory, and through the filling of the Holy Spirit, we see his fruit come out. Evidences of Christ. And so that's the illustration of the Christian life. But I wanted to point out that this stewardship is important. And that's why when we talk about the ambassador's management, stewardship, I wanted to put it in context for you. That we see that we're responsible for something. And one of the things we're going to be stewards of is God's spiritual gifts to us. So we want to handle that right. Help me... And pause with me a moment while we pray about this, because this is, this is so important for us to get a handle on. Pray with me. Father, thank you that you give us spiritual gifts. And I pray we would each discover what our gift is, and that we would put it to use where you'd have us to use it for your glory and for our edification. We thank you for it, but help us to understand it. May your spirit give us insights that we can do this. In Christ's name, amen. Thank you. So when we look at First Peter, you know the outline or the, the purpose statement. He says, I have written you briefly, um, exhorting you um, and testifying that this is the true grace of God. Stand for a minute. And you're going to see today, as we go through this, you're going to see this theme of grace comes out. And through the whole book of First Peter, grace just flows through that. I chose to use the ambassador's theme through that, but I could have easily have picked the theme of grace in it because Peter is trying to communicate what we don't deserve, we've been given. The grace of God, the mercy of God is just phenomenal. And he wants us to stand for a minute. Now, as you remember, some haven't been here for the letter of Peter, but Peter was written to the first century church in modern-day Turkey, Asia Minor. And persecution was coming on, and so the instructions that he gave were uh, that we're going to live a certain way in light of it. In this fourth chapter, he gives us instructions on suffering, how to take it, how to be his people and, and to, to withstand suffering. And then in the middle of it, verses 7 through 11, he just takes a little aside, highlights some things, and then in verses 12 through 19, he gives more instructions on the suffering and how we're to endure it. And that's where we're taking this little aside because Peter points out some things to us that I think this is important. Now, in this little sidestep that Peter takes, he gives us four B's to be aware of. And those are be so sound and sober for prayer. In light of the suffering that we're going to face, we better be sound, we better be sober, we better be prayerful. And that's what he's telling the church this. And then the characteristics that's going to define us, be fervently loving one another. That regardless, don't sweat the small stuff. Love covers a multitude of sins. Overlook one another's faults. 
all men will get, are going to know you're my disciples if you have love for one another. And if, if that should be our hallmark here. That should be our characteristic that we love one another. And that's what he's telling us to do. Thank you, Peter, for telling us. Be fervent in it. Not just, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. No, to love one another as Christ loved us. And then he says, be hospitable in care for one another. We want to look out for each other. How the community coming together, the breakfast that we had, boy, we had hospitality. It was fantastic just to be with other men who are walking this pilgrim's way encourages us to live faithfully. Thank you, Randy, and for your team putting that together today, how we're encouraged, how that builds us up. And regardless of what the world's doing, we have one another, and we're hospitable to one another and encouraging one another. And then Peter says, be a good steward of your special gift. And that's where we were last week. Now, he says, as each one has received a special gift, employ it. Use it in serving one another as a good steward of the manifold grace of God. There's that theme again, Peter coming through with grace. This grace is going to play out, but use it as a good steward of it. Now, when we talked about spiritual gifts, I want to shift a little. I'm going to be between Peter and Paul here because they say so much. In 1 Corinthians, Paul tells us, Now, concerning spiritual gifts, brethren, I do not want you to be ignorant. And I pointed that out. That's one of three times he tells us not to be ignorant about something. Okay? So put it in my language. Don't be a dummy about this. Learn it because this is important. And he also doesn't want us to be about Israel and the hardening of Israel's heart, the, the um, uh, setting aside of Israel and the work of God through the church. He didn't want us to be ignorant of that as if he's forgotten about Israel. No, this is a temporary hardening of their hearts. So now God's plan is through the church. And then the other thing we've heard about this, um, the rapture, we heard about, we hear this every funeral go, that we go to, that the dead in Christ will rise and we who are alive will meet them in the air and so we'll meet the Lord in the air. He doesn't want us to be ignorant of that. What a hope when we lay a dear loved one to rest and one day we're going to rejoin in the air. He doesn't want us to be ignorant of that and that's so encouraging Death is not a period, it's a comma. We're going to be together. We'll go to them and we're going to be with the Lord forever. And so, Paul says, I don't want you to be ignorant of any of these things. And this is the the reality of Christianity. And that's encouraging. And so, as I said, for Paul, these are three very important topics that the church has got to get. And that's why we're taking three weeks to go over the gifts. I'm going to sort through because there's a lot of mess. Next week, we're going to get into... The manifestational gifts, and we're going to be all over the place with those. And we've got to sort through it because there's a lot of confusion today. Now, we define a gift as um, <clears throat> a divine enablement. means from God, by the Holy Spirit, given to every believer for the building of the church and the glory of God. That's what it's all about. He's given each of us gifts. And we've, we've seen that in, in Scripture, how we talked about that last week. And so... There are four sections of scripture, the first, that deal with spiritual gifts, and this first one is in 1 Peter 4, and Peter basically divides it into speaking gifts and serving gifts. He doesn't get in a lot of detail here about gifts, and that's why we're having to depend on Paul today to help us 
go a little deeper here, and that's why I'm, I'm willing to take a sidestep with, with Paul. And then so, last week we looked at Ephesians 4, or two weeks ago we looked at Ephesians 4, where he discussed the ministerial guests. We talked about apostles and prophets, evangelists, and pastor teachers. We said that the office, these are all four offices that are gifted men, that the apostles and the prophets office concluded at the end of the first century. When the word of God was completed, there was no further need for the apostles or for the prophets to have that office. But the evangelists and pastor teachers are still in office in place today. Now, we're going to talk about prophecy today, but not the office of prophet. We're going to talk about the gift of prophecy. But these are, think of offices here that God has given the church. And then Today we're going to talk about what we refer to as the motivational gifts. And then next week we'll look at the manifestational gifts, how they, God uses certain gifts at certain times as the church needs it for his purposes. And so looking at this, uh, we have Peter. We've used his... Um, we're in the book of Peter, but we're going to rely on Paul. And that's the passage, Romans 12, 1 through 8, is what Ron read to us today. We're going to examine those scriptures. But before we do, I'm going to preface some things. And when we talk about uh, Romans, he's going to list seven uh, motivational gifts. Those are prophecy, serving, teaching, exhortation, giving, uh, leading, and mercy. You have those laid out in your notes. If you want to take some notes, we're going to talk about each one of those. And the reason that these are important is that each one of you, if you're a believer in Christ, has one of those gifts. And the purpose of this message is to help you identify, that's what I have. That's my gift. I'm a round peg and I want to fit into a round hole. Or I'm a triangle and I want to fit into the triangle hole. Okay? That's what this is about. Trying to identify what that is. And that's the beauty of looking at the gifts. Now, we use the term motivational. And these are these gifts are practical in nature and they build up the church and describe the inner motivations of the Christian servant. Those things that you have within you that kind of, man, I really like doing this and I'm good at this and this is where I see God using me. Okay, those are the inner motivations. That's why we refer to them as the motivational gifts. They're the inner motivational. And so, looking at the book of Romans, as we did, um, Ron read, and I'm going to go through the initial part because I want to put this passage in context and where we're, the meat of it is going to be Romans uh, 12, verses 6 through 8. But I want to see how Paul sets us up for this. He says, Therefore I urge you, brethren, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies a living and holy sacrifice, acceptable to the Lord, which is your spiritual service of worship. He doesn't want part of us. He wants all of us. And the sooner we understand that, the, the greater the joy, the greater the the understanding of our Christian walk. He wants all of us. And there's a process that goes on. Um, We uh, present our bodies to the Lord. Lord, I am yours. And and there's a process going on. And this is our worship. It's like we put our all on the altar. Not just part of us, all of us. He wants all of us. And then he goes on, he says, now do not be conformed to this world. The world is like a vice. It just wants to cramp you, you know, make you into its mold. But he says, be transformed. Be changed by the renewing of your mind that you 
prove the will of God is that which is good and acceptable and perfect. So there's a way that we can break out of the mold of the world. Because there's not a lot of good in that. But he, ha- he wants us to be conformed to the image and likeness of the Lord Jesus. He wants us to be Christ-like. That's what we're talking about here. They see Christ in you, the hope of glory. Christ is living in you, and that's what God wants the world to see. We're epistles read and seen by all men, and that's what he wants us to be seen. Now, he goes on, he says, For through the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, not to think more highly of himself than he ought to think, but to think as, to have sound judgment, as God has allotted to each a measure of faith. So look, you're going to each have different gifts. And don't get high and mighty if your gift is this and this one's this. No, God is perfect in, in arranging our body to have the gifting that he has. So identify what your gift is and rejoice in what God has given you. Don't, if, you're, uh, if your gift is, is one thing, don't envy another's gift. Now, here he goes into verse 4. He says, For just as we have many members in one body, and all the members do not have the same function, so we who are many are one body in Christ, and individually members one of another. Does that sound familiar to you uh, in another place in the Bible? It should, because in in, uh, 1 Corinthians 12, 12, Paul uses the analogy of the body and the various parts of the body and the functions of the body and how it all fits together for good, for God's design of the church. So we don't have the same gifts. Thanks be to God we don't have the same gifts. But there's a reason for that. And he goes on. Since we have gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, each of us is to exercise them. That means use them. Accordingly, Now, here's the first one. There's going to be seven of them. If prophecy, according to the proportion of faith. Now, prophecy is defined as um, it is the gift and not the office of the prophet. Remember, we said the office of the prophet ended at the end of the first century when the scriptures were complete. But prophecy is a gift. And when you look at the words, uh, pro means for or forth and tell, to foretell the future and foretell God's word. So that's a gift that people have. It's not an office, it's a gift. But let's see some places where that plays. Uh, a preacher, um, a very strong, passionate preacher who proclaims the word of God. That, that's an example of it. A uh, Christian activist, I think my wife is very active in the pro-life movement and the wonderful dear people that are standing up for life. They are, they see what the battle that's raging. Or how about those that are opposed to sex trafficking in our nation and standing up and trying to intervene? Those That's another area. The choir. The choir proclaiming the excellencies of Christ. They're speaking their forth. Even our security team could be considered a prophetic ministry in that to declare scriptural truth, able to discern, identify, and hate evil. So our security team, they're aware of evil, and they can discern it, and so that's where that would come under. So we see that. Strange how this this has many applications of what a prophetic gift looks like. And it goes on. Here's the second gift. If service in his serving. Doesn't say much there, but let's take a look at this. Service. This is the word diac- 
diakonai. Does that sound familiar? It should. It's deacon. It's the, it's the same word for deacon, servant. And that is the gift of ministry, caring for the needs of others. That's a gift. A gift of service is a spiritual gift. And I think many of you here have that gift. Look, let's look at some examples. You could be a deacon or a deaconess, a set-up person or clean-up person, uh, doing helps, repairs, uh, hospitality. There's a lot of ways that this plays out. I see what you guys do, caring for one another, a servant to one another. Just this week, right over here, this bench, right where Cleo is sitting, that bench had repairs needed to be, and Jimmy Smithwick, one of our deacons, who's excellent at doing that, repaired that bench. And you can see it, it's just beautiful. But that's just a practice. And then I saw what you guys did this morning, the men's breakfast, putting together the breakfast, serving, so we didn't have to cook. You the team of cooks did a great job. But and then our WMU group and the hospitality ministry. Service is a gift that many of you have. And it's interesting that um, whatever the task, whether it's a menial task or a gigantic task, it doesn't matter. They, they're willing to serve. They're willing to put their uh, shoulder to the ground, so they're willing to do it. And that's awesome. And then here's the third gift. It talks about, or he teaches in his teaching. Again, not very descriptive of it, but the teacher is the Greek word didasko. Didasko. And that's the word that we get the word um, didactic from. That's another word for teaching. So there's a Greek word didasko. And it's about the gift of explaining, expounding details about a topic, impart biblical instruction, instill doctrine to another. So our Sunday school teachers may have the gift of teaching. Not necessarily, but they might. And so uh, we, we see that, and that's what we want to uh, learn what our gifts are. Now, here's some examples. A uh, person that has this gift could be a Sunday school teacher, any age. And I think some with you working in the younger ages, you have to be more skilled to communicate truth to the children than you do to adults sometimes. And so uh, that takes uh, special equipping. And then there's the pastor teacher. How about team kid? The t- work that you guys are doing in team kid on Sunday nights. Or the student ministry. Coaching is another place where you're teaching uh, skills, but you tie it into the Christian life. Or a group leader. There's many places where teaching plays out. And this one's a good one. Or exhort... Um, he who exhorts in his exhortation. So the gift of exhortation. And we say this is the Greek word parakletus. Does that sound familiar? We don't use the term paraclete very much in our English vernacular, but that's a description of the Holy Spirit, how he comes alongside and helps. He uh, uh, comforts us. He enables us. That's the description of the Holy Spirit. But That's also a spiritual gift. It's a gift of consolation. It's about encouragement, admonition, and oftentimes through persuasive discourse or stirring addresses. You're given that pep talk that you encourage, you build someone up in it. Boy, what a ministry to have when you're down and you get that person in your life that speaks truth to you and encourages you from the Lord. And here's some examples 
a lay counselor. Maybe you're a person that people count on your opinion and they'd love to hear from you. Or um, a nursing home ministry. You visit in the nursing home and you bring a smile to someone that's in the nursing home or a hospital. Um, we have the hospitality ministry. Working with the students. Students seem to get beat down by the culture. And when they come to the student ministries with John, I mean, they're encouraged to live the Christian life. And wherever encouragement is, that's where, that's where uh, this ministry, this gift can play out. And it might be a kind word, an encouraging word that you see someone, you're aware of someone's situation. And here, he who gives with liberality. And we see um, giving is this Greek word, uh, metadinamai. And it's uh, the, the giving, which is the didymi, uh, along or beyond normal giving. And I don't want you to think that, oh, I don't have the gift of giving, so I don't need to tithe. No, the tithe is a start. Giving is giving, and we all have that responsibility. But there are those um, who give beyond normal giving um, to supply, furnish, impart, or bestow beyond the normal, liberally. In a good sort of word, okay? Liberally, just generous to help Christian ministries or uh, activities that honor Christ. And so, fortunately, as we get older, we're, our kids are raised and we have this and things are taken care of. We can uh, look for opportunities to be ex- exuberant in our giving, to be liberal in our giving beyond the tithe. Now, here's some uh, examples. Uh, generous supporters of any ministry with time, effort, and money. Uh, maybe you're a financial counseling ministry, and you can kind of help people. You have this uh, giving mindset. You want people to know how to uh, handle their money. Or we can uh, be a person that offers financial aid, but with accountability. It's not that we just give money on... The worst thing you can give to a person that needs money is just give them money to squander. There has to be some accountability in there, and that's the hardest thing about trying to meet the needs of others. When you're a giver, you're very disciplined in your giving where it goes to people in need. And so that's important to recognize. It's not just, you know, wanting giving and, and people just squander it. No, there's a high degree of accountability with this as well. And then he who leads with diligence. I love this. This is a leading. It's the gift of leading, administering, or shepherding with care or protection over something or someone. We could see many examples of this, but notice it goes with a little bit of a description here. With diligence. Leaders were to be diligent. What does that word mean? Earnestly, carefully, seriously. Not just, oh, you know, we'll just... Go to the meeting and, you know, blow it off. No, there's a great deal of diligence that needs to go into our leadership. Oversight and care of what we're in charge of. And that's the type of leadership that the Apostle Paul is telling us to exercise. It's not just going to board meetings. You know, we can, you know, go crazy at board meetings, can't we? Meetings, you know, when when they're talking about football... And baseball, they're comparing the two sports. You know, I'm a baseball fan, so I, I, I was watching. And, and George Will, the great um, uh, uh, 
analyst of, of uh, culture and politics and goes, he was describing baseball and football and he says, football comprises the two worst elements of American culture. They're unmitigated violence punctuated by committee meetings. Speaking about the huddle and all that. So having meetings just to have meetings is not what it's about, but it's when we're in those situations where we're leading to be diligent in it, seeing it through to its conclusion, oversight, and that's what the Apostle Paul is saying. So if you're a leader in this church, may I challenge you and urge you to take that responsibility seriously and diligently lead. People are counting on you for that. Whatever the ministry is, if God's given you leadership, be diligent in it. And we see these, you can be a... Uh, a deacon, a committee, chairperson, event planner, coaching, again, director, Sunday school, secretary, pastor, would do this with diligence. And here's the last one. He says, he who shows mercy with cheerfulness. So mercy is ieleo, and it's the gift of bringing help and understanding to one afflicted or hurting. Somehow, some way, you know that person's hurting. You have this gift. You're sensitive to the needs of a person. You could kind of say, that person needs a word of encouragement and to be merciful. And it says, would you do this uh, cheerfully? I, li- I like that word, cheerfully. It's the word hilarious, which is where we get our word hilarious from. So we're to be merciful cheerfully. With extreme joy. Not like, oh, i got to help this person. Oh, woe is me. No, but I have this. I know that you're feeling this. And I'm going to be there to share and have mercy with you. And how, in our suffering, how vital that is. That there's a cheerfulness there. There's not a, you know, you're both crying in your beer kind of thing. No, you're, you're there to uh, be there and to console and to listen and to uh, cheer them up. And we see where this takes place. A lay counseling ministry, a grief share ministry, a celebrate recovery, prison ministry, nursing home ministry, the homeless ministries. Now, a lot of these ministries we don't have yet. But as you discover maybe you have this gift or this passion, you might start something like that. Now, the big thing about motivational gifts is using them. Gifts are to be used um, for the cause of Christ primarily in the church, but not limited to the church. Uh, coach, you coached basketball as a Christian man, coaching a sports team. And some of the men in the back, you coach your son's baseball team. What you bring to that as a Christian leader, as a Christian man, you can have great influence in that setting as a Christian leader. You can be the, the fragrance of Christ there. So I... I think that's some of the greatest influence. And you might not think anything of it. But I remember you, coach, and what you taught me. See how God uses that. But it's not limited to the church. But the point is this gifts are to be used. And you remember the the parable of the the talents and the one that kind of hid his talent. He received the greatest rebuke from the Lord because he didn't use it. The other ones were rewarded. Well done, thou good and faithful steward. You've been faithful with a few things. Enter into the joy of your master. So we see that. We're rewarded by using them. 
And then Peter here, he says, as each one has received a special gift, employed in serving one another as stewards of the manifold grace of God. Put it into practice. I've used this illustration before. I love it so much. It's Eric Little in the 1924 Paris Olympics and highlighted in the movie Chariots of Fire. It's an old movie. It's in the 80s. And if you haven't seen it, get it on Netflix or something. It will just, you'll be in tears. And Eric said, I believe that God made me for a purpose. But he also made me fast. And when I run, I feel his pleasure. That's the way our spiritual giftings to be. When we exercise our spiritual gifts, when we exercise them, we should feel the pleasure of God. Well done. That's the nature of it. Now, Eric used a physical talent here of running for his prophetic ministry of the whole world noticed Eric Little standing up for God in that Olympics, that he wasn't going to run on the Sabbath, on Sunday. It was a big deal, and he wasn't going to dishonor God. The whole world took notice. His prophetic statement there was heard around the world so much that he endeared himself to the nation of Scotland. And when he died in the prison of war camp in occupied China, word got back to England and we said, all Scotland mourned. What an influence because he was used his gifting, his heart for the Lord and his natural talent for the Lord. And the world stood up and took notice. And that's how gifts are supposed to play out. Now, the question is, where do we use these gifts? Remember, we looked at that uh, that, um, uh, uh, board with the different shapes and round peg and round hole. So what we want to determine is, what is our gift? The round peg or the square peg or a star-shaped peg, that's our gift. And then we have the different shaped holes. And so we want to find out where... You fit in. And what we learn is that our shape will determine where we fit in. Let me just tell you what this is. We're going to use an acrostic shape. S stands for spiritual gift. We're to unwrap our spiritual gifts. Remember, we had that little picture of the blue box? We're going to unwrap it. I've put the the, uh, website on the bottom of your uh, handout. If you don't have a computer and you want to... Discover what your spiritual gifts are. Come by the office. I'll be there. You can use my computer and we'll go through the whole analysis and we'll find out what your spiritual gifts. Now, is this a, a chiseled in stone gift? No, it's, it's, it's a tool that we can help determine what our gifts are so that we then learn what God's given us. And then as we put these into practice, we're going to say, boy, I, I thought I was this, but I'm this. And then what I've asked you to do is go to someone who knows you pretty well your mate or a good friend and say, is this really my spiritual gift? I say, oh yeah, yeah you're, you're definitely that. And they know you better than you know yourself. So what is your spiritual gift? Unwrap it. Find out what it is. Take that survey. You'll be uh, pleasantly surprised. H, your heart. What's your passion? What do you love doing? What do you love doing? It's, it's, uh, it's been said, if if we love what we do, we never have to work a day in our lives. And so God's made us. He he puts these passions in us. I love doing this. And I I think like, I think of the men cooking breakfast. I think Ed was called, Ed Thompson was called to make those fluffy eggs. And when he does, he feels God's pleasure. Am I right, Ed? Because we feel God's pleasure when we eat them. But all of them working together there, it's it's like this is like a well-oiled machine. They're in their giftedness. 
The beauty of it. So what's your passion? Find that out. Ability. What natural talents do you... I, I mentioned Jimmy Smith with, with repairing this uh, bench. He is the personification of the carpenter, the, the craftsman. And you look at the work there, it's just beautiful. But he takes his natural gift in this, natural talent, and he puts it into practice with his spiritual gift of serving. They go hand in hand. And so that's often how those two fit together. And so we don't want to confuse the natural talents with um, the spiritual gifts, but they often go hand in hand. And when I talked about the work of stewardship here, I used the five T's. I go time, talent, temple, treasure, truth. And that's just to keep it simple, all T's. But really what I mean is time, temple, or body. Uh, Talent really means giftedness. And I I don't want to confuse, but that's a good way to kind of approximate. So time, talent, temple, treasure, truth. That we have those uh, responsibilities as a steward. So here we have natural talents. What's yours? I'm sure we have some people with amazing talents that they put with their... Like, for example, choir. We have some amazing voices in our choir. You know, I mean, I'm ready for heaven because I've, you know, I'm, we've had our prep here. The work that you, you, what you can get out of these guys is amazing. Beautiful music. And so I have this natural ability, but I see also in your choir room that you have people sorting and stacking things, arranging things, organizational skills, and then, uh, you know, when, when you did the cantata, people are getting tired. I saw exhortation there and encouragement. Um, so there's a lot of this, and I see your leadership. Do you see how this plays out? I can take my natural talent, use my spiritual gift in it, and God can use it. Personality type. We have to recognize that we have different personality types. Some of us are introverts. I'm very happy to work behind the scenes. If no one knows that I've ever been there, that's exactly how I want to work. And I'm okay with that. But then there's the others... (laughs) I've got to be out front. I'm an extrovert. Follow me. But recognize your personality type. God made you. And you don't have to be the out front person if you're an inward person. But find where you can serve as that inward person. You see what I'm saying? And it's okay to say, I'm really not a stage person. But I could, I could be setting up, I could do, I could do the costumes. You're a costume person. You know, you're doing this. That's behind the scenes. And you're good with that. Recognize your personality type. And the final one, experience. Painful or positive experiences. You might not know why you've gone through a particular situation in your life. The loss of a loved one. Uh, a failed marriage. A, uh, business defeat, whatever it could be. There's so many things that life throws our way. And at the time, you go, why? What it, why am I going through this? And, and obvious, you don't get that answer back from God, do you? But he says, trust me in this. But then you come in contact with a person that has gone through the same negative, painful experience. And you're able to exert mercy in their lives. Grace and encouragement. I've been where you've been. I know what you feel. Now it all makes sense why I went through what I went through. God had a purpose for this. 
And so we can see, look at our, uh, they can be painful experience or positive experiences. They can be uh, physical or emotional or spiritual, educational experiences that we've had. Maybe you uh, went to a high level of education and you have, you know, this knack to teach and you've picked it up from your teachers and God's given you gifting and then you put it into practice. Those are those experiences that you've had in your life that God wants to use. What are my spiritual gifts? I really want you to take time this week to go to that website. Fill it out. Look at it. It's going to print out a nice little display for you. It's probably going to give you two or three that are your, your primary ones. And then lower order on the others. Take it and see. If you don't have a computer, come see me at the office. We'll get you that that test. Just give me a call. You're going to be in. Yeah, I'm in. Come on in and we'll take that test. You'll be amazed. And then, as I said, validate it. Have your mate or your spouse, uh, your um, uh, co-worker or friend. Am I really an exhorter? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And that's encouraging. We're going to close. <coughs> but all of this is dealt with God's amazing grace. And that he has given gifts to men. And the big thing about these spiritual gifts is we're to use them. He's, you, you've got him. At the moment of conversion, you have got that gift. Unwrap it. We want you to open it up. But as I shared last time I was here, none of this compares to anything if we ignore the most important gift. And that's the gift of our salvation. Christ went to Calvary's cross to pay for your sins. All of us have sinned. All of us. We've blown it. Admit that we're sitters. The scriptures tell us all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. I'm good with that. I've done that. Yes, I'm a sinner. I need a Savior. And I believe when Jesus was on the cross, there he is looking up, said, Father, I'm doing this for Todd. And I believe he said the same thing. I'm doing this for your name. And if you believe that Jesus Christ suffered on Calvary's cross for you and shed his pure and precious blood for you, you believe that that paid the price of your sins, you are now his. And I call upon the name of the Lord, I'm saved. Lord, save me. Have mercy. I'm a sinner. I need your forgiveness. I I would don't want you to ever to be confused about the wonderful grace of God and the love of Jesus Christ to us. He says, I've done this for you. Now we're going to close. We'll have a hymn of invitation. Fairest Lord Jesus. He's given himself for our salvation. He's given us spiritual gifts. He's so gracious. This is the grace of God. Stand firm in it. We'll close singing um, the hymn, Ferris Lord Jesus. If you'd like to pray with me about salvation or if you want to pray about any need that you have, I'll be here. If you just want to talk to the Lord, please come forward at this time. I would not have you ignorant, brethren, concerning spiritual gifts. I hope that this has been an encouragement to you and helping you to discover what your spiritual gifts are. Maybe in our descriptions of things, you can identify with some of those descriptions. Oh, when we discover our gifts and we walk in them, I, I, I do it and I feel God's pleasure. May that be said of us. Let's dismiss. Father, we love you and thank you for the greatest gift, the Lord Jesus, and how you have made us right and reconciled to you through his shed blood on Calvary's cross. And not only that, you gave us 
the gift of spiritual gifts that we aren't helpless in this world that you've given us for your purposes. Help us to know what these are and to use them for your glory. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.